0: In order to appreciate this Mishnah and the following Mishnah, it's worthwhile just understanding the picture of how the social and economic workings of the time the Mishnah was. In most pre-industrial societies, meaning societies before the 1800s, uh, when there were machines to do labor, the vast majority of people um, in this society were working as peasants, that is, say, simple farmers applying the labor to get the You know, the proceeds of investing in land and getting crops and food. Of course, there were some peddlers and some artisans, but the vast majority of people were peasants. And they were free peasants. They weren't slaves or serfs, which are glorified slaves, essentially. Um, They owned themselves, but they didn't own land. So they had to come to a deal where the workers, the peasants, would strike a deal with the landowners um, to work the land and enjoy the fruits of the laborers, quite literally. So there are basically two ways that the worker, the peasant, could strike a deal with the landowners. Either it could be that they're paying a fixed rent, and rent could come in two forms, either paying a fixed dollar amount, a money amount, or it could be a rent in terms of uh, a fixed amount of produce, which was much more common in the case of the Mishnah because these people, these peasants didn't have money. Um, But they would, at the end of the harvest, get some produce, and they could then commit ahead of time to giving a fixed amount. The other possibility would be a a variable amount, um, where, in other words, they would sort of go into partnership and share in the proceeds of the success of the crop. And therefore, the the deal would be something like half of the harvest or a third of the harvest or a quarter of the harvest uh, would be given to the landowner and the balance be kept by the peasant, the farmer who did the work. These Mishnayas discuss the questions that revolve around those relationships. So just a of terminology, if you're paying a variable amount, that is to say, it's like an equity deal, you're partners with the landowner and you agree ahead of time to pay him, let's say, a third of all the crop when you harvest it. So that relationship is called a resus. An aris is a share cropper because they are sharing or he gives the worker, the farmer gives a share of the crop back to the landowner. That's a resus. The other possibility with giving a fixed amount, if you're giving a fixed amount in produce, which is what the mission is considering here, we're not going to discuss renting, schirus, renting for money, we're not discussing here. But if you pay a fixed amount in terms of, I'm going to give you 30 bushels of wheat at the end of the harvest, that's called chakirus. The person is called a chocher. So you have an aris as a sharecropper, he's giving a fixed percentage of the harvest to the landowner, and a chocher is giving a fixed amount in terms of quantity, you know, 30 bushels of wheat at the end of the process. Now, our mission is concerned with the question of who is obliged to do the tithing on the portion that goes back to the landowner. So the, the peasant does a little work. At the threshing floor, he's sitting there and he's got his, you know, mountain of, of wheat kernels and he's going to give some of those kernels to the landowner, either a fixed amount or a or percentage of whatever, you know, a fixed proportion of what he grew. In either case, the question is, who has to do the tithing on the portion that goes to the landowner? And the basic restriction here is that, as we've seen before, it's forbidden to sell or give or pay debt obligations with untied produce. Okay, there's a competing value, however, here, which is, as the way the Bartzor understands it, we're concerned with the the Cholcher, and for that matter, and also the Aris, um, the, the sharecropper, of having a financial success here because you want Yishuv Eretz Israel, you want the land of Israel to be farmed thoroughly you want Jews living on the land and that of course promotes economic, military stability and so and it's a basic Torah that Jews should be living in Israel, Israel to want it to be livable and economically stable therefore you don't want to make it too difficult for those farmers to be able to meet their obligations um, so that they can be you know stable and economically viable and stick around farming the land of Israel and developing the land of Israel so with that in mind those competing issues the Mishnah says, sadam If a person is makabel, this is an aris. So this person's a sharecropper. He's giving a fixed percentage, or a variable, a variable, a fixed percentage or variable amount um, to the landowner. So he says, "At the end of the harvest, I'm giving you, let's say, a third of the wheat." And The landowner in this first clause is a Yisrael, a Jew. Of course, the is a Jew because that's where we focus on his halachic obligations. Um, or Minanachri, or the Jewish peasant has now essentially gone to some kind of partnership with a non-Jewish landowner, or Minakusi, or case of Akusi. If you look back to Parakeh, Mishnah test, I described the Kusin there, in English the Samaritans, who are essentially, for this minute, we'll just talk call, talk with them as being uh, Jews, as the Mishnah concerned them, questionable Jews. Although later on, as I said, in the Gemara's time, they lapsed into being Halakhli confirmed to be like non-Jews. In any case, if a person, the aris, the sharecropper, is a His sada, he takes upon himself to harvest the field, belonging to a Yisrael, a Nahri or a kusi, the din is yechalak he, the sharecropper, can divide the portion that belongs to the landowner right in front of him, the landowner, and the worker, the peasant, is not required to do any of the tithing on behalf of the landowner, he can simply give it to him. Untithed. Now, usually that would be not allowed, but here we're going to be lenient, either because basically because we want it to be easy on the on the uh, the sharecroppers economically and make it easy on them; they shouldn't have to do t- too much, you know, extra work. And according to many, perhaps according to some, at least, perhaps to absorb the the financial cost of doing the tithing prior to paying their obligations. Um, it's a mechlagus, by the way. Um Midorisa, if he actually he, the sharecropper, would have to tithe it before giving it, and the rabbis are sort of lenient. That'd be, that's how the Rosh learns. That's quite unusual, a case where you have the, the rabbis um trumping the basic Dindoraisa for some larger social concern, which happens from time to time. Um or if really it would have been Midoraisa, it never became really the possession of the the sharecropper. It always was this portion was the 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 landowner's portion, therefore, really the rights and never had an obligation to tithe it. And there would have been an obligation to Midorabonin because you always have to tithe before you give stuff away. Midorabonin, and this, the rabbis were lenient in this aspect on the rabbinic obligation. That's like the Grahlerns. In any case, so that's the din when it comes to a sharecropper, an aris, and we didn't differentiate, if you notice here, between whether the landowner is Jew or non-Jew. On the other hand, ha if a person is a chocher, again, chakirus is where you're giving a fixed amount of produce. So before the harvest even happens, before you even plant your first seed, let's say, at the beginning of the season, you agree at the end of the season, you, the, the the, um, the tenant farmer is going to pay 30 barrels of wheat, 30 bushels of wheat, let's say. So, that, of course, is rather risky because it's very possible that there won't even be 30 bushels or that you were hoping to get 60, but you end up being only 31. You're left with very little. In any case, that's what a chocher is. He commits ahead of time to pay an obligation, the fixed amount of produce at the end of the harvest. So, in that case, the question is again who is obligated to do the, the tithing of the produce before giving it to the landowner? The mission says a chocher sadam Yisrael. If the landowner is a Jew, and we will not discuss non-Jews right now, um, unlike the first part of the Mishnah with the with the Aris, but with the Cholcher, if the tenant farmer takes possession to work a property that belongs to a Jew, Torem Venosimo, he, the tenant farmer is obliged only to take Truma before giving it to the landowner. Now, means take truma as opposed to the mistress which he can leave for the owner to do himself. Um, the reason why the truma part is required is because um, there's a separate rule, a separate rule altogether, which is when one finishes doing the threshing process and, you know, the, the processing at the threshing floor and gets the pile of individual wheat kernels, let's say, um, and is like finished that process called meruah hakri, smoothing out the pile. So there's a separate obligation that one shouldn't leave, take the produce, the grain, away from the threshing floor before at least taking the truma off. Truma as opposed to the mice. The reason why is because truma is susceptible to tuma um, easily. And if tevel, untied produce, becomes exposed to tuma, like a dead rat fell in the pile, it could cause a great deal of, of halacha chaos. And that being the case, you want the truma removed ASAP. So therefore, in the case of the chocher, the tenant farmer, he will at least take truma off the grain right away, and then he will give, un, before the meister taken, he will give the rest of the produce um, that's owed to the the uh, landowner to do the tithing, the meaning the meister, etc., himself. Um, there could be a question one might ask, how is it legitimate to essentially shortchange the landowner? Because if you committed to giving him 30 bushels, but you're really giving him 30 bushels before the mice take taken out, he'd so end up with less than 30 bushels. But the answer is everyone knows that's the deal. So when you set the number of, let's say, 30 bushels, that's a gross number that includes the mice that has to be taken. Everyone understood that, and therefore there's no reason why there's some sort of economic shortchanging going on. I'm Rabbi Yehuda. Huda. Yehuda says a masai. When is this true? Whenever Rabbi Yehuda says a masai, he comes not to argue but to qualify and explain the previous case. So we said in the previous case that the Chokher, the, the tenant farmer, does not need to do take off the maestrus, etc. He can just take off Truman, that's it. Um, so when is that the case? That's Bismanshanasalom Maoso Sado Maoso amin. That presumes that what the tenant farmer is doing is giving the very wheat that he grew in the very field that he took tenancy over when he was working for the landowner, Um, because that's the deal. It was the landowner's field, it was the wheat that he was expecting, and that was the deal. If the wheat that he delivers, his 30-bushel commitment, if it's paid with wheat that grew in another field, not the landowner's field, or if instead of paying with 30 bushels of wheat, in the end he decides to pay 30 bushels of barley, even if the landowner is agreeable to getting 30 bushels of barley. In those cases, ma'asir the, v'nosimo, the chocher, the tenant farmer must do the tithing first, including meister, not just truma, before giving it to the landowner. The reason is because then you have a two-stage process where first he is taking possession of the the food, and then he's essentially using that to pay his debts. That was never the deal. That was not the original deal with the with the landowner. And now, essentially, what should be happening? Happen, happening otherwise is that the tenant farmer would be paying his obligations with unpad produce, which is forbidden. And therefore, if he's using produce not from the very field he rented, and the various species of you know produce that he uh, he agreed to pay with, he would ha- he must first uh, take all the requisite tithes, trumas and maestros, etc., uh before giving totally tithe and the tukan chulin to the landowner. In the next Mishnah, we'll discuss the choker as it applies, the tenant farmer as it applies to non-Jewish landlords.